Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are saluting one of the most popular entertainers of the last half century, the Toastmaster General of the United States, George Jessel. You know, this is the uh, golden days of radio and the golden days of show business with a guest like George Jessel. Welcome to the program. Well, you're very, very kind, Frank, and you have good taste, besides. <laughs> and they were golden days because uh, the radio, to me, was a wonderful thing because uh, you didn't see the people and you imagined they were much better looking than they really were. And uh, there was just something about it that let your uh, imagination run loose instead of seeing it before you on television with the sponsor standing over your head with a bat and saying, I don't like a green dress or I don't like that joke. I don't care about the public. This is my money. You've, you've had all of that, too. I've had, all, I've had everything you can think of. How did you ever get the, uh, the title uh, Toastmaster General? Well, it was uh, used in a private dinner party by Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he was present, president and then later on publicly by Harry S. Truman. And I've been called that uh, by every other president with the exception of General Eisenhower. I never met General Eisenhower. I see. But you were still the Toastmaster General oh, during yeah. his term in office, and you are now. You travel a great deal for the, the government. Yes, I do. I'll be uh, leaving tomorrow morning. As a matter of fact, a week from today, I'll be in either Saigon or Tokyo or Seoul in Korea. They don't generally tell you where you're going. You're probably the most traveled man in the country, aren't you? I average about 7,000 miles a week for eight years. Oh, my goodness. When you were starting out your show business career, did you travel much? Well, no. We played week stands in vaudeville for a week. In some places on the Orpheum circuit, like Los Angeles, San Francisco, we played two weeks. Mm -hmm. when, when you started, now, you, you started, uh, it, was it Brooklyn? No, up in Harlem. Or in a little movie, Nickelodeon, they called it. My mother was the uh, sold the tickets, and Walter Winchell and the fellow named Jack Weiner and I sang. We got four dollars a week, and an extra fifty cents on Sunday. And we had a crap game in the back of the theater, and generally lost the money. <laughs> four dollars went a long way in those. Oh days. yes, yes. But you you were in a, a singing uh, singing group. trio, yeah. And, what, and this went on for a couple of years. Oh no. In order to uh, get songs, we had to go down to that was then called Tin Pan Alley, where all the music publishers were. And Gus Edwards was a famous songwriter and also had acts for young people. And uh, we were engaged by Gus Edwards to go on one of his acts in vaudeville. Well, Gus Edwards uh, had uh, school days, and so he discovered a lot of people. Oh, my he? goodness. Uh, the Marx Brothers, Hildegard... Practically Eddie Cantor, Ray Bolger, myself, Georgie Price, Lila Lee, the Duncan sisters, any number of people. That's a, that's a long list. I think your most famous routine was your phone call to Mama. Yeah, it was a long time ago, and it came about very interestingly. Uh, I was 16, and I was doing an act with a cigar in my mouth and a derby and telling jokes far beyond my age, and audiences didn't like it. And a fellow vaudeville, William, and Al White said to me, you ought to be telling these things to your mother. 
not as if you just left the bank and all that and try to do that. And being a very young man, I was about 15 to 16, 60 with no fear, that night I went on and started to tell it to my mother. This became a very important routine and because uh, it was homey and it was down to earth. They still laugh at it now. And uh, then a lot of people have stolen it. But I have no feeling of enmity against them. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy in Christian Science says, let no one's errors offend you but your own. So I don't have any feeling of hatred toward these fellows who have stolen my stuff. They should just fall off the top <laughs> of the Empire State Building. <laughs> well, we're going to hear the, the phone call to Mama. This is an early recording. I would, I would imagine this was uh, sometime around 1935. Hello, operator. I've been at this phone a half hour. I'm calling Willow Trip, 8645. Well, thank you very much. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Kahn? How are you, Mrs. Kahn? This is George Jessel. Say, Mrs. Kahn, I wonder if you'd do me a favor. It's such a lovely moonlight night out. Would you mind going up four flights and asking my mother to come down to your phone, please? Well, unfortunately, you see, we can't use our phone because something is wrong. Something with a bill, I don't know. Who knows? They sent up two men, unscrewed the whole telephone, and took it out. Yes, yeah, spite work. Well, of course. Oh, you say my mother is right there in your apartment? Well, isn't that a coincidence? I say that's good that uh, she's there. Would you put her out? Thank you. Hello, Mom? This is George. George, your son, from the money every week. How are you? Oh, you say you're still having those dizzy spells? Every five minutes a dizzy spell. How long does it last? A half hour. Oh, why don't you call Dr. Green? He always helps you. You have no confidence in Dr. Green? Why? Oh, you heard when he was sick last month, he sent out for another doctor. Well, what about those powders he prescribed for you? You took them and they're no good. Are you sure you took the right directions? You must just take enough powder to cover a dime. Well, you didn't have a dime. You took it on two nickels. Anything else wrong, Mom? Oh, now you see spots in front of your eyes. Well, Mother, if you see spots in front of your eyes, wear your glasses like the doctor ordered. Your glasses are up on your forehead? Well, how long will it take to get them down? Oh, you got the glasses on now? How is it? You see the spots better with the glasses. Say, Mom, how did you like that bird I sent home from the parlor? You cooked it? That's a fine thing to do. That was a South American bird. He spoke four languages. He should have said something? Well, never mind. I'm going around to the art shops tomorrow. I want to see if I can get a nice whistler's mother. If I do, I'll get a lovely frame and we'll hang it over the fireplace. I say for the front room, the parlor, I'm going to bring home whistler's mother. She'll have to sleep with Willie. I figured you'd say that. By the way, how is Willie? He's got pains again? I can't understand that little fella, Mama. Ten years old and so far he's been sick 11 years. I've been trying to get you for the longest time. What was the matter? Anna was talking to her fella, huh? Well, put Anna on the phone. I want to talk to her. Yeah, please, Mama. Hello? Hello, Anna. This is George. Look, sister, I don't want you to think that I'm picking on you because I'm your oldest brother and I love you very dearly. But what's going to be with that fella of yours, for heaven's sake? Well, the man doesn't want to work. He sleeps 18 hours a day. Why don't you explain to him that Lincoln and Washington and Jefferson only slept five hours? You told him that? What did he say? Look where they are now. Ah, what's the... I'll tell him something when I see him home. You say your fellow is mad at me? Why? Because I called him a hippopotamus? Why, honey, that was 12 years ago that I called him a hippopotamus. Oh, he never saw one until yesterday, huh? Well, all right. You made your own bed. You'll have to butter it, that's all. Well, honey, you've been engaged now for 17 years. I think it's about time that fellow of yours popped the question. You think he's going to ask you to marry him next December? What makes you think that? 
Or the other night he said it'll be a cold day when he marries you. I get it, I get it. Well, how, how about you reducing? That's one thing. Oh, you, you, you're reducing. You went horseback riding the other day? How did you ride? Side saddle? Oh, you asked the man how you should ride. He said it makes no difference. It's just as broad as it's long. Well, okay. And how are you getting on with your diet? Oh, you're sticking to your diet. Well, that's good. Now, what did you have for dinner? You had tomato soup and a piece of fish and a small steak, cottage fried potatoes, and some succotash, some ice cream, a piece of pie, and coffee. But, Anna, what about your diet? Oh, then you took the milk and crackers. I see. Fine. Well, put Mom around again, will you? Thanks. Hello? Hello, Mother? Well, there's nothing we can do about Anna. Well, she's in love, and there you are. Let her get as much out of life as she can. You know what Longfellow says? Tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream. I say Longfellow said that. I shouldn't go around with him? He's crazy? No, 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 no. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the poet. He didn't live next door to us at all. That was Lowenstein, a barber who lived next door to us, Mama. Well, I'm going to be away a few months. Now, I shouldn't forget to write you every week, even if it's only a check. Okay, goodbye, Mama. That's it. You remember that, don't you? Almost oh, word yes, for word. Oh, yes, several monologues. Uh, this is a later one. Uh, the first, the first uh, eight or nine years I did this, or nine years, I wrote all of it. And then a friend of mine, Sam Carlton, used to bring me jokes who should marry themselves into a telephone conversation. Any good joke you can put in anywhere, you can always make it fit. Is, was it hard in the, in the early days to, uh, to find material that you could no, use? No, it wasn't hard. And then once you perfected it, there were, well, there were 15,000 vaudeville theaters when I went in the show business. Now, of course, there isn't one. And uh, there are hundreds of burlesque theaters, small musical comedy theaters. Uh, well, you could work around Chicago and New York if you just had a fairly good act for five or six years without changing a line. Did they pay pretty good money in those days? Well, money, were, it was, everything was relative. You could live at a good hotel for a dollar and a half a day with three meals. Where is that hotel? Because I'm going to it's Chicago. Not there, and this, those are not there anymore. <laughs> you did a, you've done lots of radio shows. You've oh, had yeah. your own show many, many times. And uh, this is a program that I think was done about 1939. And you, in, in, your, in the opening of the show, you incorporated the phone call to Mama. Yes, I, start, I used to start it by saying, Mama, who do you think I got on the show this week? So and so and so right. and so. That's what we're going to listen to right now. Oh, my. Mr. Jesso! Hello? Hello, Mom. What's going on? What? Aunt Mary? Well, for heaven's sake. Well, what do you think of that? Little Aunt Mary after all these years. Oh, my goodness. I bet Grandma is excited, eh? When, when was it, Mom? At 5 o'clock this morning. <laughs> Some rumpus, huh, Mom? What, two? Well, how is she feeling? Oh, that's fine. I must tell that to the audience. Folks, my Aunt Mary got two fingers caught in the door. Five of them. <laughs> What's doing? Willie's music teacher is a dope? What makes you say that? Willie says the teacher asked some crazy questions. What crazy questions does the music teacher ask, Mother? Something about how many vegetables in a quart? No, it's, you probably got it mixed up. No, it's, it's probably... It's probably how many beats to a measure. That's what he's probably saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, you call me back later in the program. Yes, I'm going to say it. You keep listening. You'll hear it. Miss McDopey, what did the bank say about the $20,000 I want to borrow? Oh, they said they can't let you have it. They can't. They tell them, never mind. I'll get it from one of the waiters at the Trocadero. <laughs> My friends, we're certainly living in a crazy age. In this kaleidoscopic world we live in, everything is topsy-turvy, topsy-turvy. People used to come to work in the morning and punch time clocks. Now they punch the bosses. People come from the country to work in the city so they can earn enough money to live in the country. The fellow who walks yells at the fellow in motor cars. If he own, as if he owns the street. The folks who ride in motor cars yell at the fellow who walks as if they own the car. It's a crazy, topsy-turvy world. <laughs> in Japan, General Watamatsuya wants a piece of China. How do you like that? In China, General Feng Shinun wants to be left alone. It's a topsy-turvy world, my friends. The hotels out here in California are starting hiring girls for bellhops. Looks like a big season for ice water. It's a topsy-turvy world. <laughs> and yet there's a great deal of happiness in it, particularly for me this day. You folks perhaps have read about my wife, Norma Talmadge, being rushed to a hospital a few days ago, and I've just received word that she's doing fine and out of danger, so it's not such a bad little world after all. When you uh, were, were starting out and doing uh, radio appearances, would you prepare special material? For instance, I've got, uh, I've got uh, an excerpt from the Shell Chateau show. Well, every show that you had to do had to be prepared because you, ha you had to time it. But you wouldn't do a, a vaudeville routine. You'd have special material. No, I'd do as a rule what I uh, tried and true material. Mm -hmm. Unless it was a situation comedy. I never had any of those things, to my knowledge. Uh, no, this is a, this is tr a straight uh, monologue. Monologue. Although yeah. you're you're introduced by uh, by Al Jolson. Now you knew Jolson from. Uh, well, I met Jolson when I was twelve years old, and then uh, when he passed on, I did the services for him. Yes, I I remember that. Did did you ever work with Jolson other than this radio show? Uh, only in the York? last uh, couple of years before he died, the shows I produced for the California Friars for charity, Al and I would appear together. Mm -hmm. Well, this has a routine, and I think some of the gags in this routine I've seen on television in the last two weeks. This is 1935, mm. and uh, it's George Jessel, I think, at his best, introduced oh. by Al Jolson. I certainly would like to hear Our that. Our next guest is a young man who needs no introduction to you folks in Shell Chateau. For that matter, any place where there are better-going people in the United States. You've heard him on the radio, seen him on the stage and in pictures, and you certainly know his mama. He's one of the world's smartest comedians, and it's a pleasure to welcome him to Shell Chateau tonight, Georgie Jessel. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Albertina, it's a great pleasure to be on this radio program, and to tell you the honest truth, it's a great pleasure to be on any radio program. What's you say? <laughs> What's use of telling any lies, you know? Things haven't been as tasty in my business as they might be, you know? Of course, you read in the columnist about actors, how well they're doing. I read of myself only two or three months ago. Jessel, there's a lucky fella. He married a rich actress and bought a diamond ring for 10000 well, Who had that kind of money? Well, <laughs> I bought a little ring, and I'm taking care of it as I go along. That's the whole story. <laughs> I read about a week ago here in the paper, it says Jessel has finally landed himself a fine job at Hollywood. He's a, an executive at one of the larger motion picture studios. It's a little exaggerated, the executive. I got a little job and uh, an office. They didn't give me anything yet. <laughs> after three months, I'll get an office. And uh, after three months, my contract is over. So you can't figure on anything. You know what I mean? 
But I have had a most interesting time here in California. I came here originally to play a week's engagement at one of the theaters downtown. But it was really very, very nice and interesting because we played six shows a day. And finally, after two or three days, uh, I mean, I got all mixed up. You know what I mean? I started to feel like that girl in the picture. You possibly saw the motion picture, Private Worlds, where the girl is a little bit, you know, and she comes in and she says, I'm Carrie Flint, I've come to tea. I'm Carrie Flint, I've come to tea, you know? That's how I felt with the six shows. I'm Georgie Jessel, I'm on again. I'm Georgie Jessel, I'm on again, you know? We had a splendid time, though, and I was kept over for, uh, well, they extended the engagement uh, for the second week. They announced it that way. I had the contract for two weeks originally, but... Uh, <laughs> But really, the theaters out here, I mean, are different, as I say, from the ones we have in New York. I, uh, I played an engagement at the theater on Broadway some months ago, a motion picture theater. They begin at 9 o'clock in the morning. But what kind of customers are you going to get at 9 o'clock in the morning? Well, sir, you come out, you look through the wings, and the entire audience consists of traveling salesmen. You know what I mean? They've been up about an hour. They couldn't sell anything. They come in the theater, put their samples under the seat, and make faces at the actors all afternoon. I mean, it hurts them because we're working, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's interesting, and it's good for an actor to play that type of theater, particularly in these drastic days of the drama, because you play four or five or maybe six times a day, and it keeps you mentally alert. You've got to think of new jokes at every performance, because you're working for the same people all day. Eh? <laughs> who is one of that type of theater patrons. She goes in, and once she's in, she stays the whole season. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's a remarkable thing about her, as it happens. I mean, I say this with no ulterior motive because uh, I got the job, but, I mean, she is the most ardent Jolson fan. Remembers all his plays and his pictures and listens into his programs, but, and loves his songs, but has no idea about uh, committing a melody to her brain. You know, there are some people that way. For instance, I dined at this aunt's house, and she was characteristically humming a song to herself, you know? Cocktails for two. <laughs> so, and so, ladies and gentlemen, this time, a popular song called It's Easy to Remember But So Hard to Forget. Victor, uh, just uh, a more note of instruction. I mean, make out I'm not singing this. Make out it's still Al and play it, you know, his way. Go ahead, if you please. <laughs> With you, I own the earth. With you, I rule creation. No, you. And what's it worth? Life is just an imitation. That sweet expression I see before me. The way you looked when we met It's easy to remember But so hard to forget I hear you whisper I'll always love you I know it's over And yet It's easy to remember But so hard to forget and so I dream, I feel your arms caress me, fingers press me tight. I'd rather dream than have that lonely feeling stealing through the night. That one clear moment 
is there before me, and though it brings me regret, it's easy to remember, but so hard to forget. I love this song. I tell you why. It's got a nice, sentimental, old-fashioned sway to it. Kind of song that I used to sing when I was a little fellow with Gusset. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, in those days, the songs had ever so much more sentiment and deep feeling than the ones they're writing today. I don't know if you sang a love song, by gosh, you know it was a love song by its title. I can't tell why I love you, but I do. I'll be with you when the roses bloom again. Will you love me in December as you do in May? Love song. Today, the love songs are... I want to go back to Chakamahaka, Hawaii. Two cigarettes in the dark, and I'm out in the cold again. Look-a-look-a-looky, uh. here comes Cookie. Songs had so much heart, so much feeling. Well, of course, nearly everything seems to have changed since I was a little fella. Even the kids are different. Children haven't got that same sweet, childly simplicity they used to have. A kid is born, it leaves its cradle, and it's a grown-up before you know it. It forgets the springtime of its youth almost immediately. I remember around Christmas time, you'd say to some little fellow, well, sonny boy, soon the Christmas will be here, and then what do you want Santa Claus to put in your stocking on Christmas morning? And the child would wistfully answer, well, sir, a toy drum, a soldier coat, a baseball glove, some sweet childish fancy. I got a nephew, six years old. I said to him this Christmas, well, Sonny, what do you want Santa Claus to put in your stocking? He says, Joan Blondell. <laughs> that very moment is clear before me, and though it brings me regret, it's easy to remember, but so hard to George, that's something. That's 37 years ago. Yeah, and I'm surprised, knowing Al Josephsworth, that he let me do that long. <laughs> Maybe he was out betting on the horses. He was the star of the show, wasn't he? He was the star of the world. You know, I've got so much more stuff, but we're out of time today. Will you join me next week on the Golden Days of Radio? I'd be very happy to join you at any time, because anybody that uh, looks into the days of yesterday, and I don't live in any capsule of the past, because I'm doing very well. And... Uh, my, I'm doing very well. I'm doing what pleases me. I go to every place where we have soldiers all over the world, wherever they are, in God-fearing countries. And that's the biggest kick I've ever gotten on doing anything as an artist or entertainer, as a speaker, since I've been to the amusement business, which is over 60 years. We'll continue next week. That wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. This is Frank Rizzi in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week when we continue our salute to the Toastmaster General of the United States, George Jessel. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.